0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Welcome to the Seattle
2: Mariners baseball podcast.
3: Goodbye baseball, a walk-off. Winner for Mitch Hattiger. Swing, line, drive. This game is over. birthday goodbye baseball. Mitch Hattiger ties it up here in the bottom of the ninth inning.
4: Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. Hey, welcome back. Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. How are you? The weekend is upon us. I hope you have a good one. We have a lot to cover in this one. We're kind of going all over the map in this podcast. We'll talk a little bit about it has been a weird week. uh, Two-game series in Texas, off day yesterday. And now the Mariners take on the Astros uh, starting tonight. So we'll take a look at that. Also, the trade deadline has come and gone. We'll talk about Jerry's reactions to some of the things that happened during the trade deadline. And we'll talk some Modesto, Shannon Dreher, some interesting stuff going on there. We'll hear from Joe Rizzo, who we have not heard from on this podcast. So that will come up in a few minutes. So, oh, and also we'll hear from Ryan Stiles. I think this is a great conversation. If you do not know who Ryan Stiles is, he, well, he helps make everything go. And Rick Riz, a chance to sit down with him, a little inside look at some of the things that go on behind the scenes for the Mariners. So that conversation comes up as well. So, A lot happening on this podcast before this weekend. We'll start with the series in Texas, the brief two-game series. Mariners splitting the series with Texas as their winning streak has gone by the wayside after losing Game 2 of the series. But Game 1 went to the Mariners, and thanks to Kyle Seeger, almost going for the cycle.
3: The wind-up and the 2-2 to Seeger, Swing and a fly ball into left center field. Drifting back. Lino DeShields to the one. He tracked to the wall. Leaps up and he makes the catch or does he? Does he make the catch? No, it's gone. Left center field. Lino DeShields trying to time that leap. I thought for a second he brought it back. He went to the top of the fence. But a home run for Kyle Seeger. Goodbye baseball. The Mariners second of the game already. And the Mariners have a 2-0 lead. And Seager
4: was not done, as he would mix in a triple.
3: 2-1 pitch
5: here to Kyle. Here it comes. Pitch swung on, line drive, right center field. That's going to get down. It's going to roll. Vogey's going to score. Beckham bringing it hard. He's the third. He's going to score. Seager digging for third. Here's the throw with the slide. He's in safely. What a night for Kyle Seager. He's a double away from the cycle. They just drove in two, and the Mariners have retaken a lead at
4: 7-5. So 8-5 would be the win for the Mariners after taking two or three from Texas, sweeping Detroit in four, beating Texas in game one of the series. Nice little run for the Mariners. Game two a little different, though, as Texas will pile a ton of runs on the board. Mariners will get a couple back late thanks to Broxton smashing a home run as first is in a Mariners uniform.
3: Keon Broxton, a swing and a drive, deep to right field, going back as chewed to the one he tracked near the wall. Goodbye baseball! Keon Broxton, his first home run in his second Mariner game. His first home run as the Seattle Mariners, fifth home run on the season, the other way to right field. And it's now the Rangers' nine and the Mariners' seven.
4: Yeah, but they wouldn't get any closer as the Texas Rangers would win game two of the series, so... Off day yesterday after an off day Monday. And now the Mariners start up with the Astros coming tonight. say Kikuchi will get the ball. 5-10 first pitch from Houston. Wade Miley will go for the Astros. Marco Gonzalez will go on Saturday. An opener and Tommy Malone on Sunday. Saturday, 4-10 first pitch. Sunday, 11-10 a.m. Verlander is going for the Astros on Sunday. Mariners will not see Granke. It looks like he's going to start Tuesday for Houston. They will see, looks like, Aaron Sanchez, who they traded for from the Blue Jays on Saturday, a deal that obviously did not receive the same kind of attention that the Granke deal did, but a deal that could have a big impact for Houston. So the Mariners will take a look at Sanchez. We'll see what the Astros can do with him. And that's how uh, the series with Houston lines up. And then back home next week So that's a look at the Houston series. Now, we have a lot to get to in this podcast. The first thing we will do is talk some trade deadline, as that is done now. And it's really interesting how the trade deadline worked itself out. Uh, Jerry Depoto, I thought, had a pretty good explanation, a very interesting explanation for what this deadline ended up looking like, especially considering this is unique we've never had just one deadline before and maybe how things were a little different because of that
6: having the one deadline really it forced people to think very clearly through what they wanted to do Uh, by people i mean the other clubs whether they wanted to buy or whether they wanted to sell or hold and i don't think anybody was willing to jump into the pool until the very final moment and, and determine what they wanted to do there were so many teams in in that decision making flux that I think what wound up happening is the teams at the top of the food chain who clearly wanted to buy and the, and the teams at the, the other end of the food chain who clearly wanted to sell were caught in a hold because a lot of the middle of the market wasn't moving because those teams hadn't yet determined whether they wanted to be in or out.
4: And what that led to is a lot of movement at the very end, like last minute, and that's how the Mike Leak deal came about. It's pretty interesting to hear <laughs> – how this one came down.
6: We had talked to the Diamondbacks as long back or as far back as May and you know, really hadn't revisited a whole lot. And, and it picked up again today with, I would say, less than 20 minutes left in the deadline. And, and I believe, uh, rumor has it, we, we clicked send and confirmed the deal with everybody with about 68 seconds left.
4: So that's close down to the wire. Now, in terms of prospects back, there is one that it looks like we will see before the end of the year, according to Jerry.
6: Taylor Gilbo is he really took a huge step forward in last year's fall league and, and it's carried through to this year. He's a lower slot lefty that gets up to 98 miles an hour with his fastball. He's averaged about 95 this year. And has an above-average slider. He really performed well. They started him at Double A, which I think is a common thing for the the Nationals. They tend to keep the guys closer to home uh, more frequently than not. And um, with their Triple A team being out in Fresno, and here in the last few weeks they moved him out to Fresno for the first time. And you know, we feel like Taylor is what, he's, he's close to the big leagues. He, he will pitch for us, you know, barring anything unforeseen at some point before the end of the 2019 season, whether that be in August or September, let him get his feet on the ground and, and Tacoma and, and see where he is. But it's a really good arm, and it's an explosive fastball. He, he actually comes with reverse splits. You know, I've seen some allusion to the fact that he's a situational lefty. That's not necessarily the way we see it. It's a it's a lefty with three pitches, two of them that we think are pretty significant and gives us something to grow with here.
4: Now, the other piece of news that, I, that we'll be watching closely is now with a spot opening up in the rotation. When are we going to see Dunn or Sheffield or both? And Jerry talked about that a little bit as well.
6: Jerry, it's Jerry it, you have an open spot in your rotation. Are you – do you feel comfortable right now that one of your young
7: kids, Justice or Justin, would be ready to fill that spot, or would you want to
1: wait a little bit more?
6: We're probably going to wait a little bit, you know, at least for the time being, because of the, the flow of off days, uh, both the one we just had prior to the start of the Texas series. And, and if you look at our schedule, it's it's laden with off days. There's at least one every week in August and until that last week. So pretty good chance that we don't fill in the the fifth starter. I don't think we need one again until uh, until the home series with Tampa. So there's we'll start having discussions now as to what we'll do. But you know we've we, we've already gauged when we want the young guys to arrive and and trying to determine in our schedule when that fits. The off days in August really help us. And what we don't want to do is upset the rhythm and flow for Marco and Kikuchi and. And the, the 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 way we've got things going with Tommy and Wade. Uh, that being said, when it's time to to fold Justice and Justin in there, we will do it. It's it's more likely toward the end of August than than today, but we'll uh, we've already started to eyeball when that might take place.
4: So that's something to watch as we move through the month of August as they continue to pitch very well at Arkansas. So. Deadline is passed. We'll be talking a lot about Deadline on the air, of course, with the Houston Astros up this weekend, and they were in the middle of everything, you know, picking up Granky, a couple of big trades along the way. So now we're going to turn our attention to the miners a little bit. First, we'll hear from Joe Rizzo. Well, Joe, it has been
2: fun to watch your season from afar. The numbers are pretty eye popping. How would you say this year has gone for you?
7: It's definitely been a good year for me so far. I'm pretty happy with the way everything's going just from an individual standpoint, but also as a team, like I love all the guys being around all them. It's an awesome environment to be in. What would you say the
2: big difference is for you this year as compared to last year? Um,
7: Pretty much the only thing that I've really changed is my stance and I've been more consistent, consistent with my approach. The only thing I've changed with my stance is I'm just kind of leaning over a little bit with my, with my upper body.
2: How did you get there? What was uh, what made you implement that change?
7: This off season, I spent some time in Arizona during uh, the high performance camp, and our hitting coordinator Hugh Quattlebaum and Jay, Jared Dehart and a couple other guys. I think Carson was also in the room. We all talked about it. We they showed me a little PowerPoint presentation about how it could help me and everything like that, and ultimately decided to try it and. I liked it and kept going with it.
2: You mentioned the camp, and you're not the first one to mention that camp. How much did that help? It's
7: a really good camp because we're there for about six, seven weeks, and it's basically strictly just working out. Everyone's just changing their bodies for the better, and it's a really good environment.
2: You've done something that's not easy to do, jump from high school ball to pro ball and have success in pro ball. What has been the biggest adjustment in that time frame?
7: just really learning how to play every day and get your body ready to play. Like it's almost August and we're coming down the end stretch here and everyone's tired. Everyone on the field is banged up or just their bodies are giving out on them in in any way, which way, but yeah, just really working on your body and getting ready to play at seven o'clock has been the biggest thing.
2: And I imagine going through it. I mean, that's the only way to learn how to do it.
7: Right. Exactly. Yeah, there's no preparing for it. You just got to do it.
2: Well, it's been a tremendous year as I mentioned for you, including a trip to the All-Star game. A big mm-hmm. All-Star game for you, a couple of doubles. What was that experience like?
7: Uh it was it was a lot of fun. It was it just hanging out with a bunch of guys in in the league and a lot of my teammates as well being there it was it was a lot of fun we had a good time while we were there especially with jose ombria our hitting coach being our manager
2: you're not kidding about a lot of teammates there i mean <laughs> it seemed like you took up a third of the team
7: yeah we had about we had about uh 26 guys on a 25 man roster if i uh <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's impressive speaking of your teammates you've played with a lot of good players this year Mariner fans don't mm-hmm. get a chance to see you live. If you had to point out a couple of teammates that Mariner fans should be very excited about, who are a couple of guys that jumped to mind right away?
7: Uh, Cal Raleigh has been one of the best players I've ever seen here. The, like while he was here before he got moved to Double A, he was lighting the league on fire while he was here right before he got moved up. I Like I kid you not, he was probably the best player I've ever seen in person While wow. while he was doing what he was doing. He had, I think, like 16 home runs in 17 games or something like that, something ridiculous, and I think he had four multi-homer homer games. He, he's one to look out for.
2: Yeah, uh, it seemed like he was yeah. hitting a home run just about every single night from the looks of things.
7: Yeah, it's, it's like literally every time we walked up to the plate, we all thought he was just going to hit a homer. <laughs>
2: That's that's amazing. Uh, you guys are getting towards a stretch run. Playoffs uh, appear to be on the horizon. How, how are things looking right now for Modesto?
7: Things are looking pretty good for us right now. We're, I think, one game back in the division, which puts us in a very good spot with all of our pitching is doing really well. Our bats are coming alive. So I think we got a lot of room to make a good push. How
2: have things gone for you this year defensively?
7: Uh, they've been really good with – a lot of help with our new Everett manager lewis boyd he's not here anymore but just overall his everything that all of our infielders have done with him has been tremendous and i think that he's going to make that Everett team a lot better with him being there
2: and defensively for you how do you feel like your game is right now
7: very good like like i said boyd helped me a lot and while he was here and we put together a uh a good little drill set to do before before the game every day, and I've been sticking to that, and it's it's helped me a whole lot. I think.
2: What are some of the things that you're doing behind the scenes, information-wise or system-wise, that you felt have, has really helped you blossom this year?
7: Um, we we get a lot of information on pitchers pregame. We we have all their heat maps. We have tendencies. We watch video, literally all of that. Anything you can think of on the opposing pitcher, we pretty much have it. And I think it helps every single one of us going into the game be more prepared.
2: Well, Joe, it has been so much fun to watch you from afar. This has been fun. Thanks so much for taking the time, and we look forward to talking to again soon down the road. Thanks so much.
7: No problem. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Now
4: it's Shannon talking about Modesto.
0: About 35 miles from the ballpark here in Arlington is Dr. Pepper Ballpark in Frisco, home of the Rangers AA affiliate. As luck would have it, the Mariners AA affiliate, the Arkansas Travelers, are in town for a series, and I got to pop over on the off day and catch up with a number of Mariners prospects that we'll hear from a little later in the week. The Travelers, of course, are home to 13 of the Mariners' top 30 prospects and have already clinched a spot in the postseason by winning the first half. The group is focused on that postseason and winning together, which is something that was fun to see. Now the Mariners see value in keeping groups of young prospects together and to that end keeping their catcher with their pitchers is important as well. Logan Gilbert, L.J. Newsom promoted to AA two weeks ago, and along with them, catcher Cal Raleigh, a third-round pick by the Mariners a year ago. Tough to keep a guy down who's OPSing over 1,000 for the majority of the season, but it was actually his leadership that played a huge part in the promotion. Keaton Gologoli, broadcaster for the Modesto Nuts, had a front-row seat to a pretty remarkable development story that put smiles on a number of faces in the Mariners' front office. On the postgame show last week, he gave us that story.
1: Yeah, you know, he and Logan Gilbert have really worked hard uh, together over these this last uh, this season so far, just these couple months. And if you go back into the off season, uh, about how they're going to attack hitters and do that sort of thing. And you know, when you you hear Andy McKay and Jerry Depoto talk about process, uh, you know, I had a, a chance to have a front row seat to that process. And you know, Cal Raleigh and Logan Gilbert are two guys that have never really had uh, peers of the level they currently have between the two of them. And, you know, before that really dominant stretch by the pitching staff uh, at the end of June and going into July uh, Cal Raleigh and Logan Gilbert had something that our pitching coach called the truth meeting. Uh, He said that those two guys really got after each other uh, talking about ways that they needed to improve, uh, particularly in their game planning. And they were able to have a, a really deep, intense conversation with each other about what they needed to do better. And that then turned into uh, the first recorded instance in California league history when a starting rotation made an entire turn through the rotation without allowing a run. Uh, The starters ended up posting 40 consecutive scoreless innings uh, over the span of seven days. And that came directly from a meeting that those two guys had where they were able to really hash some things out about how they wanted to, put together scouting reports. So it was really a lot of fun to watch those two guys kind of grow together and, and be able to really embrace the process and, and do something in the environment that's been created from the top and then to have real, true, historic results on the field.
0: I had heard some rumblings about perhaps not everybody being on the same page for, I think that's probably the best way maybe to put it, before that truth meeting. How did that meeting come across? Was it Who was it initiated by?
1: So it all happened within the span of one day. Cal Raleigh had been discussing some things with our pitching coach, Rob Marcello, Jr., about wanting to uh, let the guys know that they need to reestablish the fastball inside. It was just something they had gotten away from. We had had a few guys promoted up to double A. And so, you know, this was about a two-week process where Cal had kind of brought this to, to Rob. And then eventually Rob... Uh, pushed Cal while the catching coordinator, Tony Arnerich, was in town to run this meeting saying, hey, Cal, you need to be a leader. You need to run this meeting with the pitching staff. So he did. And uh, in Rob's words, the things went well. Uh, Guys responded to it well. And two hours later, Logan Gilbert walks into Rob's uh, office and says, hey, was that meeting about me? And Rob says, well, I don't know. I don't think so. What do you think? And uh, well, Logan had a few ideas and Rob said, well, if you have a problem with any of this, you need to talk to Cal. So after the game, those two guys are in the training room and, uh, you know, Logan realizes it's kind of a quiet moment. They're one-on-one and, and Logan decides to, to bring up, Hey, you know, that the meeting you ran earlier today, I don't really feel like it applies to me directly. And from there, you know, they were off, uh, they were able to get into some things and, you know, they were able to go back and forth about, Uh, a number of things, including the fact that Logan needs to feel comfortable calling Cal Raleigh or shaking Cal Raleigh off in-game and that Cal is not going to get upset about that. Uh, They needed uh, Cal to be a little bit more personal with the pitchers and and the idea that, yes, the scouting report says – that this guy can't hit a curveball or can't hit a fastball in a situation, but you need to understand that pitchers maybe always don't feel comfortable from pitch to pitch with a secondary offering or a fastball here or there. And one of the things that Logan said when I talked to him after this meeting was that, you know, once they had kind of presented a few of these constructive criticisms to Cal, that meeting could have ended 10 minutes uh, after it started. Instead, it lasted three hours and passed one o'clock in the morning in the clubhouse because Cal continued to press Logan and one of our other starters, uh, Pen Murphy, as well as the pitching coach, Rob Marcello, to continue to get that constructive criticism out of them. So he really took what those guys said to him and pushed them to uh, tell him more so that he could learn about these things and this is the type of thing that he was prepared to do and didn't become standoffish because of the high performance camp that andy mckay and the mariners have put together in the off season and both logan and cal separately told me that the meeting about leadership that andy mckay ran that was based in truth you need to be able to talk about hard truth with your teammates and do it from a place of caring uh, that conversation led it to this conversation that happened in late June, leading into that dominant stretch in early July. So uh, it was really, really fascinating to watch this all play out and to have the guys speak to me on the record and be open about it so that I can share this type of story. And it really highlights the process that is going on at this level. And in Rob Marcello's words, this is the kind of meeting that could change the course of those guys' careers.
4: Rick Riz with Ryan Styles, Very fun conversation
3: and find out what it takes to uh, get these guys in uniform and on the field every day for 162 games during the season. A chance to visit with Mariners clubhouse manager, equipment manager, Ryan Stiles. Ryan, first of all, thanks for joining us here on Rick's Tips. How did you get started in this end of the business?
5: Well, I started way back in the Kingdome. I was uh, in the mailroom, and I had uh, part of the job duties were You know, I would deliver stuff, you know, and pick up to and from the clubhouse. So I got in, uh, became friends with some of those guys, helped them out a little bit um, after I was done with my 9-to-5, worked playoffs, worked All-Star game, and uh, just kind of got a little feel of it that way. And when the opportunity arose in Peoria in 2001, um, as overseeing all the minor leagues, I, uh, I jumped at it and moved the family down to Peoria and started out down there for whew, 12, 11, 12 years. I was down there for, before I came back here in 13.
6: Been
3: around the organization for a long time. It's a, it's a long day for you and the clubhouse guys, you know, Pete and Billy and, and Chris and Joe, what's a typical day like for you? What do you do to get these guys ready?
5: Well, we basically our job is to take care of everything in this clubhouse to make sure that the players, as well as the staff, um, all they all they need to worry about is what out there on the field. Um, we clean them, we feed them, you know. We we make sure they're uh, you know equipment's uh, ready. You know, again, it's it's uh, it's basically we're here for them in any way possible that they you know may need us.
3: Tell me a little bit about uh, you go through a lot of baseballs during the course of the year is there any way you can add up the dozens and dozens of baseballs that you use during the course of a regular baseball season?
5: Well we start the season uh, I budget for 500 dozen a month and that's uh, and that includes 500 for spring training too as well. Um, We'll tend to go over a little bit um, in september we usually do a small order at the end of the month to get us through um you know the season but that's roughly you know for baseballs you know for the entire year
3: what about the bats for the guys
5: bats that is a little different it depends on the each individual player um you know when we had Nelly here he he broke a lot of bats <laughs> <laughs> um but it's been it's been pretty good this year um you know it's I, I want to say, you know, 300, 400 probably for the year off the top of my head wow. for the whole organization, and that, and that includes spring training as well. We have a, you know, we'll have about 30 position guys in spring training, so it, it tends to, uh, the, umbers, the numbers will add up a little bit um, in spring.
3: Visiting with equipment manager, clubhouse manager Ryan Stiles does a great job with this organization. What's what's the the best part of the job, and what's the toughest part of this job?
5: Well, the best part of the job is just obviously being around baseball, being around these guys. I've twenty one years, you know i've I've uh, I've had some of these guys, you know, in the minor leagues when I was down, yeah. and and had them here as well. So it's 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 nice to see those those guys grow you know not only as baseball players but as you know as people um, you know the difficult part of the job is obviously probably being away from the family um, when we're on the road you know we do go on the road you know you know 81 games a year um, you know I'm away for a month and a half in spring but uh, you know we make up for it in the wintertime
3: do some of the guys have unique requests during the course of uh, of the season basically you got your bats and balls and you get the uniforms ready but uh anything out of the ordinary
5: no i mean it's there's not a lot you know there's some tendencies some guys have maybe during the game where you know they want you know things at a certain place on the bench you know which you know the bat boys kind of will you know will handle all that you know, in terms of food, some guys, you know, may eat healthy. Some guys may not eat healthy. <laughs> you know, there's it's it's nothing too crazy.
3: Yeah. What are some of the characters you've had a chance to be with down through the years? You're so f- good with all these guys, and I know they like to spend time in your office.
5: Well, Bobby Felix is the is the number one yeah. knucklehead we have. <laughs> um, I mean, I had him when he was 16 when we signed him out of venezuela he came straight to me in peoria so i got a special bond with him obviously because i've had him the longest um but uh yeah there's some guys you know there's guys that i may have you know jay bruce was an awesome guy and i really only got to spend you know a couple months with him but you know everybody's kind of unique everybody kind of has their own way about them um so yeah, it's it's nice to see all the different personalities in here.
3: Well, what you do it's not an easy job. You do a great job out of taking care of these guys as the clubhouse manager and uh, I tell you what, keep up the great work and Ryan, thanks a lot for being our guest here in Rick Steps. Thanks Rick. Meredith's equipment manager and clubhouse manager Ryan Styles.